turn uh, in a copy of God's Word to Galatians, to Galatians chapter uh, 2. We have three uh, passages we're going to be looking at this morning. We are starting this morning a, a mini-series, if you will, on stewardship. Stewardship is one of those topics that's kind of like the third rail uh, in the subway. You don't touch it uh, unless you want to get shocked. Uh, but uh, stewardship is one of those things that we are called to be good stewards of all that God has given us, not just finances. We're not going to talk about finances until the third or fourth week in the series. So the thing is that God owns everything that we have. Everything that we have belongs to God, and we are called to be stewards of it. So we're going to be talking the next three, four weeks um, about how we are called to be t- uh, stewards of, of our time, our talents, and our treasures. We might more properly say we're going to be learn how to be stewards of God's time, God's talents, and God's treasures. But this morning I want to start with um, uh, time, and we'll lay the foundation for our time together as we look at this series. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing on the reading of His Word. Father, You have blessed us with Your Word, that You have revealed Yourself to us, and not only what You require of us, but how we might be saved and how we might live in a way that glorifies you. So, Father, this morning we pray that you would meet with us by your Spirit, that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that you might equip us to serve you, to love you and our neighbor. We pray all these things in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The first text I want to read is just a few verses here of Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. All right, so we started at the beginning of the book. Let's go to the end. Let's go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. You'll find, if you go all the way to the end and take a left, you'll find it. Revelation 21. And here we find not the beginning of time like we've just seen, but the end of time. We might even say not the end of time, but also the purpose of time. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So we've seen the beginning of time, we've seen the end of time. Now let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and here we'll find how we're meant to spend our time in the middle. Ephesians chapter 5, just two verses, 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. You know, as we get older, we must ask the question, who owns our time? Who owns our time? And as we get older, 
we see that less and less of our time seems to be at our uh, discretion, at our disposal. Think about it. When you, when you go from pre-kindergarten to kindergarten, is kindergarten full, t- full day or is there a half day here? It's a full day. So when you get to kindergarten, suddenly you've got to go to school all day, every day. And then a few grades later when they start giving you something called homework. This is the most insane thing ever. You would go to school and do work, and then you have to go home and do some more. And then a few grades later, you know what happens again? You get homework for the weekends. How terrible is that? The weekends are that, that holy place that's just mine, and I can do whatever I want to. And then the teachers say, you've got to do some work on the weekends. Then you get to high school, and all the time you think you've had, you finally figured out the home, homework thing, and then you need to get a part-time job, maybe during the school year or certainly in the summers, and you see that your time is not quite your own. Now, college is a little different. For some people, they've got way too much time on their hands, but others have no time as they're working three, four, or five jobs just so they don't have a mountain of school debt. But don't you remember your first job, when, either when you graduated high school or graduated college? And suddenly, there weren't any spring breaks anymore. And summer was gone. This was terrible. took me years. I'm still recovering from this thing. And then you get married. And suddenly, you have to give an account for every minute of every day. You know, even if you do want to go play golf or go shooting or go hunting, you got you got to have a consult about it, right? you got to talk about it. And then baby number one comes along. And suddenly how you spend your time has an impact on whether a human being lives or not. And suddenly your time is not your own. And I've heard when baby number two comes, which I'll be glad to tell you in a few weeks, that uh, it just escalates even more. And suddenly you realize, man, I no longer have any time of my own. My time is not my own. But here's the thing, it never was our own. Our time was never our own. Just as we've had more responsibilities added, we have less choice about how we're going to spend it, that God has put structure into our lives to show us how we ought to spend His time. See, time is a creation. We are called to be stewards of it. A steward is someone who takes care of something that belongs to something else, to someone else. Think about it as this way. If, uh, if many of you are, are involved in, in forestry, and you may manage uh, some land for those, uh, for people you don't, you may manage trees and land for someone else who owns the property, but your job is to um, make sure they get as much profit from the land as possible. You give an accounting for how you've managed, been a steward of their land, or perhaps you're involved in finance and you're managing someone else's money and you will give an account of it. Or even an ambassador, he has been given an authority from his king But it is not his, it belongs to his king, and he will give an account of how he has used it. So too, we are stewards of something that belongs to someone else, belongs to God. And my friends, I think if we can wrap our heads around this this concept, that time does not belong to us, this is about the most un-American thing you could ever say. Time is not our own. Time doesn't belong to us. Time belongs to us. To God, and we are called to be stewards of it. Well, God owns time because God created time. 
See, time didn't exist in eternity. This gets a little thick, but hang with me. Time does not, did not exist in eternity. In eternity past, before God created the world, there was no such thing as time. In eternity, which neither has beginning nor an end, time has no meaning. But there was never a time, if we can use that word, in which God did not exist. He has always existed in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, we read in the Nicene Creed that uh, the Son was eternally begotten of the Father. There was never a time in which the second person of the Trinity was um, created by the Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed in eternity past. And when we get to the end of the age, when, when this world is changed forever and we receive our glorified bodies, time will cease to exist. We will live in a timeless eternity with our God. So why does that matter? It means that this thing that we call time has been created for a season, for a purpose by our God. That time was created in the beginning and it will come to an end at the end. And there's only a certain amount of it. Like There might be only so much money in a bank account. There are only so many minutes and hours left in the universe until God creates, recreates, and renews all things. And we have been called to be stewards of this time. How will we spend this limited resource of time that we have in our lives? Certainly, we see the length of days that it is measured. And a great, a blessed man reaches 70 or 80, perhaps 90. But there is an end of our days as well. See, time was created by God. And, and if we look at Genesis chapter 1, we see this in several places. Perhaps time was created on day 4 when the sun and the moon were created. We'll read this in verse 14 of Genesis 1. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day and the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. But I don't think, I don't think time was created on day 4 because we'd already had three 24-hour day periods by that point. So the, the sun and the moon were just created to, to add measure to those things. It's like you might have a quantity of water, but you may finally get something to measure it. You've always had that amount of water, but finally you know how to measure it. So we go back to day one. Verse five tells us that there was evening and there was morning the first day. But I think we have to go all the way back to the very first verse in the whole Bible. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. As soon as God started creating, time started. It's like somebody pressed go on the stopwatch. Six days later, he would be done. What does this mean, by the way? Why why does all that matter? It matters a, a whole bunch. Because if God created time, that means he owns it. If a painter creates something on a canvas... That painter owns that creation at the end of that process. So our God, when he created time, he owns it. This means that he owns our time. He owns our time of what we do in and out every day. That the primary um, deciding factor is not us. It's God. For it is his time, not ours. But here's the thing. God has given us a time as a gift. Don't don't let that seem like a burden to you. God has given us time as a gift. How do we know that? 
Well, the Genesis 2 passage we read speaks of what happened on the seventh day. On the seventh day, what happened? God had been creating the, the, on those, those six days by the word of His power, according to Hebrews chapter 1. By the word of His power, He created all things. He spoke it into existence. And it's not like He was tired. 300, stars we think He created. That's our latest estimate. We, when we revise that estimate, we revise it by 300%. So that's three with 21 zeros behind it. We think there are that many stars in the universe. It's not like he was tired after creating all of those things. But on the seventh day, he rested. He ceased from his labor. And I think we could argue we're still in that seventh day, by the way. By doing so, he created this pattern of rest in our lives. God has given us time, and he's also given and carved out in that time rest for us. We call it the Sabbath. That we cease from our labors on the seventh day except for deeds of of mercy and necessity. And we rest from our labors and we seek the Lord and we come together for worship on the first day of the week since the resurrection to worship our God. And it is here is a gift to us. It is not meant to be a burden. What does it say about our faith when we take rest, by the way? When we take one day in seven, it means that we trust God to provide. You think about what this meant in an agrarian society. In ancient Near East, when, when, uh, when you know, having a day off in a week could mean the difference between survival and death, of sowing, your, sowing the seed. And when, harvest was, when it was time to harvest and the hay was ripe and ready to go, to take a day off meant you trusted the Lord. We are called to take a day off as well. And, and I think that we've all found it at different times in our lives that when we don't take Sabbath rest, when we don't take the pattern of rest that God has created for us and enshrined in His law that was kept by Jesus, we see great tragedy in our lives. We're worn out. We're worn down. We don't have any strength emotionally, physically, or spiritually. God created time for us. And in that time, He carved out as part of the, the very rhythm of nature, one day in seven for us to rest. So one way that we are stewards of God's time is to take rest. Isn't that amazing? The gospel would say that we can rest in what Jesus has done for us on the cross and that we can rest on a regular basis. Rest from our labors, trusting that He has, is, and will provide But there's even a greater gift of time, and it's the text we read at the end of Revelation 21, and it's that time is going somewhere. Time is not meaningless. Isn't that great news? You know, there there are a lot of folks who believe that, especially the Eastern religions, the Buddhism, Hinduism, these, these endless cycles of time. And it just repeats itself over and over again. But y'all, our time is going somewhere. We are on a it's like a train track. We're going in one direction as when Christ comes again and makes everything new. That is fantastic. That our time has meaning. And that when Christ comes again, He will change everything. So how are we meant to use this time? How are we meant to use God's time? It belongs to Him. We've been called to be stewards of it. How are we meant to do it? Well, we, we get a little bit of this from Ephesians chapter 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. When, it says the te- when the text says to make best use of the time, it's actually talking about redemption. The, the, the Greek actually uses the word redemption here, to redeem the time. Which means there's something that we need to redeem it from. That we constantly be redeeming the time in our lives. Well, there are lots of, of ways that we could speak of this, but I think this text helps us in that we are called not to spend our times unwisely, but wisely. So let's talk about some extremes here, about what it means maybe to fail to be a good steward of, of God's time in our life. The first might be laziness on one far extreme of the list. This is defined as disinclined to activity or exertion. exertion. You know, in, in terms of stewardship, laziness is simply not using the resources that God has given us. It's like being given a field to plow and sow and harvest from and simply not doing it. You know, laziness is often manifested in different ways in our lives. Procrastination, negligence, or just complete inactivity or slothfulness. Um, I think of college, and I think of laziness. Um, Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty. 2 Thessalonians 3, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's a challenging one, isn't it? You know, but here's the thing. This is a heart issue. Laziness is not the problem. Laziness is, in fact, just a symptom of a heart issue. We, we know this, right? That, that our actions come out of our hearts and what our hearts believe and the condition of our hearts. What does that say about what we believe? That when our Savior would enter into time, the time in which he created, in order to save a sorry soul like mine. And yet I'm lazy. Have I really grasped the, what, it, what God has done for me? When we think about uh, spending our time in, in seeking the Lord and, and seeking his kingdom to come in our lives and the lives of others, if I am lazy... What does it say about my heart? What does it say about my soul that I would not seek Him as I ought? It means that I have forgotten the gospel and how radical it is that He would die for me. Someone who doesn't have it all together, someone with a terrible track record, someone who struggles with sin even now, whose debt of sin is great, and yet He would die for me. So the thing about stewardship is we don't want to be motivated by guilt. Guilt will uh, change our behavior for about a week or so. And then we'll just go back to our old patterns. And stewardship in every other area of our lives, we must be motivated by what Christ has done for us in the gospel. If we see the reality that, that people really do go to hell... And the reality that, that we have been saved from it and we have the news, the good news, the euangelion, the good news of the gospel. How could there be laziness in our hearts? How could there be laziness in our lives that we would be lazy for the kingdom? But you know, on the far other extreme of laziness is being a workaholic. 
You know, in America, being a workaholic is perhaps the greatest virtue of all. That in pursuit of the American dream, I will do whatever it takes, no matter the cost. And the reality is, being a workaholic, being away from your family all the time, working seven days a week from dawn to dusk with no Sabbath, is not how God meant us to be. But here too we see that it's a heart issue, isn't it? There are a lot of reasons to be a workaholic. Uh, There are a lot of reasons. One is that we find our identity in what we do. This is extremely difficult, especially for men. We find our value in what we do. If you ask, uh, I was talking to someone recently about this. If if you were to ask uh, your wife, men, how her day was, and she went to the grocery store, what's she going to tell you? Well, I got in my car, and it started right up. And I drove down the road, and there was the pretty trees all along the side of the road. And then I, I got to the grocery store, and do you know who I saw? I saw this, 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 this. And she had all these problems. And we talked about it 30 minutes, and, and then I came home, and everything was fine. If you ask a man what he did in the same thing, I went to the grocery store and came back. We emote differently because men find our identity in what we've done whereas women struggle with finding their identity of who they know and what other folks think of them. Now, there's plenty of cross-difference. You know, we all do the same thing. But men especially, we struggle with, with finding our identity in what we have done instead of what Christ has done for us, instead of resting on what he has done for us. Or perhaps we value possessions too much. A nice house, three car payments, and a boat for the vacation that's never taken. But God tells us he adopts us not because of what we've done, but because he loves us in spite of our sin. Or perhaps a third, we might say, somewhere in the middle is, is wasting time or misuse of time. It's kind of like being a, given a million dollars to invest and blowing it on a really nice trip to Cancun. Can you imagine what a million dollar trip to Cancun would be like? It'd be pretty fantastic, Right? But we've been given all these resources, but we don't use it for what God has given it to us. We use it for something else. God has given us all this time to use for his glory, to love him, to love our neighbor, to seek him, to seek the good of our neighbor. And how do we spend it? We spend it on Facebook and on my iPhone and, you know, leisure and these things, which are great, by the way. But they're not what we're called to do all the time. So what does wise use look like? What does wise use of God's time look like in our lives? Uh, I went to camp when I was nine to Camp Canacook in Missouri. It was the first time I'd really been away from my parents. And let me just tell you that sending your kid 1,500 miles away when they're nine for the first time away from their parents for two weeks, I'd say I didn't handle it very well. And, uh, and they, they gave awards at the last thing, and there was this award that they gave to the person who didn't get any other awards, and, and I got that one. Uh, <laughs> so as they were calling them all out, you know, I got the, um, you know, the award that, yeah, you know. Um, it was called the I'm Third Award. Uh, and it's a good award. I don't think I earned it. I think it was a, a pity award. Um, but we are called to put ourselves third, right? You've heard this before. God first, then others, then ourselves. Now, how do we usually work this, right? Me first, looking out for number one. Then others, if I have time for them, which I probably don't, and definitely not God. He gets the scraps. But when we think about time not being our own, but being God's, Suddenly it's got to change how we view our time, that our time is primarily for God's use, to seek Him, to serve Him, and to love our neighbor. We think about the two greatest commandments, to love our God and to love our neighbor. 
And how do we do this? Do we just do it with our emotions? No, we do it with our time, our talents, and our treasures. We do this by serving Him in the space of time. We seek after God, and we seek after the good of others. And finally, we seek after our good. This is an issue of priorities, isn't it? My priorities are all messed up. On a daily basis, my my priorities are all messed up, and I'm constantly having to come to the Word and asking for the Lord to order my day again. This means that when we are providentially hindered, right? That's the good Presbyterian word. When we're providentially hindered, when God throws something into our day that we did not expect, God has a reason for it. And God knows our timetable. God knows our calendar. And it means that I can't just um, help others when it's only convenient for me, which, by the way, is never but must seek their good above my own, looking not only to my interests, but to the interests of others with this thing called time, which God owns and has called me to be a good steward of. And it means that I must put God first in my life. And that when there are other things that are, are, are um, vying for interest in that time, I think through that grid of God, others, and myself. Well, this, these things will never change, by the way, until our hearts are changed. These things will never change until my heart is changed. And how does that happen? It it happens by being forgiven by the one who came to forgive people like me who's a bad steward of my time, a bad steward of my treasures, a bad steward of my talents, of God's time, God's treasures, God's talents. See, the God who created time, because Hebrews 1 tells us that Christ is the one who created the world. John 1 tells us the same thing. Uh, He who created time entered into time in order to save terrible sinners like me, in order that he might be a steward of our souls. And one day we know that when we are with him, when he comes again, we will hear that he has been a faithful steward of that which we've entrusted to him. God is a good steward of our souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of time. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be good stewards of it, not seeking our own interests, but Father, of yours and others, that we might serve you with gladness. Father, change our hearts. Let us see time in a different way, that it doesn't belong to us, that it belongs to you, that we'll be ever ready to sacrifice for your glory and for the good of others. We thank you that when we fail, which is all the time, we find forgiveness in Jesus, who entered time that he might save us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.